0: And what I'm going to do is show you there's a progression in faith. And what really matters is, is what is real in your life and in my life. Like, that's actually what really matters. Not what we think or what we say or what other people think or other say, but actually, so tomorrow or today when you go home, what's really real for you? Um, that's really significant. And, and so here's the journey. You can think of it as faith. Um, faith starts off as uh, pragmatic. Uh, and then it becomes uh, desperate. and then it becomes obedient. Okay, so pragmatic, what's the what's the how does how does it start off as pragmatic faith? Well, this is the this is what happens, right? Jesus goes up, and uh, um, he arrives in Galilee, and the Galileans welcomed him. Okay, so there's a there's a bit of an irony because Jesus just said in verse 44, a prophet's without honor in his own town. So why does he now say they welcomed him? Well, what are they? What sort of welcome was it? Um, well, the welcome is based because they'd seen all he'd done in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, for they'd also been there. Uh, and you go, oh, wow, what's, what's going on there? Well, we understand a little more the irony behind their welcome or the, the nature of their welcome is given to us in this response. When this, the father comes and heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son who was close to death. And then Jesus says this, unless you people, and I like the second person plural they've got here, in earlier translations sometimes it would be unless you, and then they think Jesus was just getting stuck into the dad, and he's not. He's saying, unless yous all, unless you people, you whole group of people who've come thinking, oh, you're this great wonder worker from Jerusalem, unless you people see signs and wonders, you'll never believe. So the pragmatic faith is this, Jesus is a wonder worker, a miraculous person who can do all sorts of good stuff for us. Now, now, we love that about you, Jesus. We want all the good things you bring. Will you give that to us now? A pragmatic faith is a faith that finds Jesus useful because of what he can do for us. you just believe because of the signs and wonders you just believe because of the stuff that you think i can now do for you i did all this amazing stuff in jerusalem now i'm up here north in galilee i've come to you and now you're hoping for round two of the signs and wonders round two of the of the miracle working jesus will meet my needs here and now i mean you and i like we would never have faith like that would we never except always that's sort of how we all start isn't it I mean we all start our journey with God in some way going I need the good things that God will give me maybe you start your journey of faith by by well what is finding God useful You know, there's that old saying, um, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. This was a comment from, from First World War. You know, whenever, when you're about to die, everyone's crying out to God. Okay, so in the foxhole, when you're a soldier, you find God useful. Please help me. That's real faith. It's just not perhaps all the sort of faith we'd want. It's what you see in a current war in Ukraine With the Russian invasion of Ukraine, you've got Patriarch Kirill on the Russian Orthodox Church, blessing all the Russian invaders and saying, hey, you guys, if you die in this war, you'll go straight to heaven. Sounds like another religion we hear about. Um, m- co-opting, making God useful in, to, to serve your own interests. For Putin and Kirill, it's the interests of a sort of Russo-Christo-nationalism. Uh, and then, of course, you see the Ukrainians, there's this beautiful footage of uh, you in, in the Ukrainians where the Ukrainian Defense Force chaplain is um, uh, anointing all the uh, Ukrainian soldiers with uh, oil. They, they're just, you know, s- standing next to their armored vehicles about to go into battle. And the chaplains, they're anointing with oil and paint and praying for them. So they go, well, that's you're trying to fight. God, will you keep me alive? I find God useful here. You see that in uh, any time our faith is fundamentally about what God will do for me or my family or my tribe. It's a good starting point, but it's not enough. Jesus, Jesus says that. It's, that's all you want. Now, if that's all you want from God, that's all you might get from God. But God wants to give us so much more than that. God wants to give us more than just presents. And I'll tell you what it's like if you if you change gears and you think about this faith. It's a very childlike faith at one level. What a, but, but it's, it's not, if you're a parent and all your kid ever wants from you is gifts, the kid doesn't love you, but just loves the presents that you give it. That's not real love, is it? It's kind of, it's okay. I'm glad that my kid is grateful for the things I give it. But what you really want is a whole lot more than that. What you want your kid to do is to love you for you, not you for the gifts you give the kid. Right? Um, so, pragmatic faith, like that, like we, there's a bit of that in all of us. Lord, what'll you do for me? Um, but the pragmatic faith, what I love here is um, the royal official and he's a Jewish guy, he, he has what I've called a desperate faith as well. He's walked a long way, he's heard of Jesus, he's come to Jesus, and sure, he has that pragmatic faith element, but there is, there is a desperation about his need that he comes to Jesus. And, and I think that's where we get to, I think, and I think it's really interesting. He went to him when this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and he begged him to come and heal his son because of just, I mean, desperate. And you can imagine that, can't you? If you've got a kid who's dying, I can't imagine anything worse. Uh, and he's just Desperate. And what's so fascinating about Jesus is he gets stuck into them all at their level of pragmatic faith. And, and the official doesn't stop his in his desperation. Look at verse 49. The royal, he keeps going. He says, Sir, come down before my child dies. I don't know. There's just something so unbelievably human in that. He says, I'm not going to argue theology with you, Jesus. I'm not going to, yeah, maybe I had pragmatic faith. Maybe I just want a miracle worker. But actually, Jesus, I just want my kid to live. Won't you come and heal my kid? And he's desperate. And I think in our journey of faith, I think there's, um, when we get to the point where we know that only God can actually intervene and change the situation it gives our prayer our faith and our prayers a desperation that jesus responds to like it's interesting isn't it he he's just told them he's just sort of rebuked the guy and all those around him and then he still meets his needs it's a desperation and uh, and w- What he's responding to is prayer. I mean, what the what this guy is doing, the royal official is doing, is he's praying, isn't he? That's just prayer. We sometimes think prayer has to be some sort of close your eyes, bow your head, some sort of weird spiritual thing. And, And I mean, one level it is weird and spiritual, but actually, prayer is just talking to God. And that's what this guy does, is he just talks to God. He just says to Jesus, just desperate. And he won't give up, and Jesus responds to his human need. Um, um, Why are are our prayers so weak and feeble? Well, I think because often our prayers don't get much beyond pragmatic faith, asking for things, and we haven't moved to desperate faith. And the reason most of us haven't moved to desperate faith is because most of our lives, we, don't, we aren't desperate for God because most of our lives are pretty well-organized and pretty sorted and like, I don't really need, what do you really need God for unless your kid gets cancer or someone you know gets cancer? Most of us, our lives are so comfortable. And look, at one level, I'm a, that is a great blessing from God. Don't get me wrong. I'm not like, let's not wish tragedy upon us. Uh, it's wonderful, but... What it does for us, our engagement with God, is it can just make it very hard to get beyond just the pragmatic, transactional, tokenistic prayer, I want God just to bless me and, you know, sprinkle a bit of spiritual blessing on top of my middle-class materialist life to the kind of faith that deeply engages God, that has this profound personal encounter with Jesus, uh, when I was involved, uh, one, one of the things I most loved about being involved with the International Justice Mission, um, and I remember hearing the guy, there was a, one of the key theological sort of leaders behind IJM, he made, made this comment about prayer, and he said, if your prayer life is kind of boring, or you're not motivated to pray, well, it's, it's because you're not praying for things that can only be changed by the act of God, like, if your biggest pr- and he was he was having a go at sort of American culture, and he said, if your biggest prayer need is asking God to guide you uh, about the choice of tiles for your fourth kitchen renovation, oh Lord, which should I have? And I did what sort of t- what pick a, two different kinds of tiles? I don't know, a, a white tile and a slightly different white tile for the fourth. If that's your biggest need. No wonder your prayer life is going to be pretty, uh-huh, because, I mean, you can just solve that, right? Just pay an interior designer. Don't renovate the stupid kitchen. You know, like there's a lot of ways you can solve it. But if you look at like with IJ would say 50 million people in some form of modern day slavery, how on earth is that going to ever be solved? Well, only by an act of God. You've got to Pray. It not it interesting that, that miracles tend to happen when people are in extreme situations, that they've put themselves in those situations to serve God, and only God showing up can actually solve the problem. Over coffee, talk to Margot about uh, a Lebanese Marianite pastor that she met during the week who's doing extraordinary work uh, in Lebanon with uh, Syrian refugee kids and the stories of miracles that sh- that turn up of god showing up because no one there's nowhere else to turn now i don't know what we, what we do with that apart from i don't know i don't know what do you do with that like cuz you don't want to wish desperation on anyone but at the same time we all know that without that level of desperation our faith really doesn't grow that much I mean, most of us grow when we have to really, really, truly turn to God. That's interesting, isn't it? We can talk about that in a little while. Brian's taking the kids out. What a a champion, hey? Okay. Um, Desperate faith then leads to obedient faith obedient faith you see this is what he says and it's quite profound i, I you know when you've re- maybe you've read the bible a lot you've read a passage over and over again and it's never really struck you this verse i must have read i don't know lots but it didn't the power of it didn't really strike me until this week i started thinking about well, what does this really mean for me and for you, the man took Jesus at his word and departed. So obedient faith has two forms. You, actually, you, you take Jesus at his word. You trust him that what he says is a description of what is and what will be. And then you act on it. That's it um and then you act on it so this got me thinking i thought this is what i thought to myself i thought mark are you actually a christian it got me thinking about when jordan peterson was here last time i don't know what you think or feel about jordan peterson you may not even know who he is so peterson is a fascinating man. And he was asked, he keeps getting asked, you know, Jordan, are you, Jordan, are you do you believe in God? Are you a Christian? And he, 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 he says his answer, and I think he's moved on this, but his answer historically for a long time has been, I, I try to live as though there is a God. And then when, you, when he's pushed, he would say, I won't say I believe in God because that is such a huge claim that if you look at my life, you would say, my life is not lived as though I actually believe in God. <laughs> There's such, it's such a big claim. Like if you really believe in God, it changes everything. And so Peterson says, I'm not gonna claim that for myself because my life clearly doesn't, it, it, I just clearly don't at so many levels in terms of my actions. And I thought to myself, as I read this little passage, I was having a Jordan Peterson channeling <laughs> channeling this Jewish official moment. And I thought, "How I, do, I, do I have obedient faith, Lord? That's interesting, isn't it? Like, to what extent am I still stuck at a pragmatic faith? To what extent can I actually, I take Jesus at his word. I take Jesus at his word and then I act on it. Like, I can't just listen to it, but I've got to live as though it's true. You go, wow, I don't know if you feel the force of that. Many years ago, when I was at university, how they used to induce guilt in us in the Christian group I was part of, in a way that I'm trying to induce guilt in us now. and feelings of great inadequacy was by saying this is when the cold war was going on and christians in this in behind the iron curtain were being arrested and tried for their faith and and the the guys who were running the christian group would say well mark if you were put on trial arrested and put on trial today for being a christian would there be enough evidence to convict you Andrew Thorburn found the answer to that. <laughs> don't need a lot of evidence in the current court of public opinion, but that was an interesting question so I wondered I got thinking to myself, well what does it mean to take Jesus at his word? Where do we find Jesus and, and what is it like how, how do and then what is Jesus saying to you and to me and and then what should I do in response to it? so uh, here's a question how does Jesus speak to you today? If I said to you, take Jesus at his word, like uh, like as a church, let's take Jesus at his word. What do you think that actually, where does Jesus speak to us? In the Bible, in scripture, first and foremost, the Bible is the place where you turn to find the reality of Jesus' instruction for us, right? Um. I was listening to a lecture by Dallas Willard on one of these topics, and he said, "Do you know there is no problem in your life that you will encounter that if you take Jesus at his word and do as he says from the inside out, that you will not be able to solve Let's think about that. This is a guy who then went on and died from pancreatic cancer. And he was not perfect, but as a tenured professor of philosophy, he'd spent his life uh, lecturing and in ministry and studying scripture and living an extraordinarily close life with Jesus. There's nothing, there's no problem you'll encounter with life in life that if you take Jesus at his word and you live it out from the inside out, that you won't be able to solve. You go, oh, that's pretty significant, hey? That's pretty huge. Now, our problem is we don't think Jesus, we often don't think Jesus is that smart. Like he had some good advice back then, right? But, but like, really, should I tr- take Jesus at his word today? Hey, That's tough. So, so we, we don't. And then we just stick at pragmatic and desperate faith so pragmatic faith keeps ticking along and then when the wheels fall off we get all desperate but actually what jesus wants to do is invite us as a as a daily exercise into a life of deep interactive obedient faith so i'll let me give you an example of what jesus says to us here's a word from jesus to you and to me that's at the absolute center of his message The center of the gospel, the word that Jesus says is, the kingdom of God is here and available to you to enter and live in now. Your faith is not about getting into heaven at some point in the future. The Christian life is about living in heaven now, getting heaven into you now in your experience. Another way of putting that is the essence of our faith of an obedient faith is that we are able to live in an intimate, interactive, day-by-day, moment-by-moment experience of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, now. Let me put it another way. What is, when when in John 3 it says, Jesus is the savior of the world, and it says we need it, um, for God so loved the world, that whoever believes in him okay whoever trusts him will not perish okay so when you what does that verse mean in this context how we often read it as in our culture is oh i trust jesus back then that he did this stuff back then and somehow i trust that and then i sort of muddle through here and if i trust that then At some point in the future, I'll go to heaven. I'll be forgiven and I'll go to heaven, right? I I actually think a better reading of scripture is (laughs) you don't trust Jesus in the past, you trust Jesus now. If you trust Jesus now to guide you and to work with you and to shape you and to change you, if you trust Jesus in your current, present, lived experience, moment by moment, day by day, then you will be saved, i.e. you'll live in the kingdom of the heavens, you'll know the reality of God in your life, you'll know Jesus in your life, and then for sure heaven has come into you, which means that of course death won't interrupt your experience of heaven, because it's already started, you're there. So uh, the point, so take Jesus' word, he took Jesus and then he acted, he departed, he did it. So uh, there is nothing more important for you and I to think about than this reality. Like, well, what does it mean? What is Jesus saying to me today? How does Jesus want to go with me to work tomorrow? You go, God is with you as you go to work. Do you have that kind of deeply interactive moment by moment? Yeah, I'm trusting Jesus today. I'll give you another example. I mean, we think Jesus, yeah, sure, I can trust Jesus for my eternal salvation. He's a heavenly insurance for when I die. Uh, And he had a lot of good religious stuff to say back then. But, um, hey, you know, when Jesus says um, that if you want to be really great, you should be a servant of all. Do you really trust that? Do you act on that? That's an interesting question. How much energy do we spend, natural human energy, climbing the social hierarchies of our culture? Yeah, that's, that's okay. You. And then you, you climb the hierarchy and you ask Jesus to bless you on the way up and you think that's what Jesus wants. Actually, Jesus says, do you know what? If you really want to be great, go down, become a servant. If you don't trust Jesus enough, to embrace a life of downward mobility and service of people, you don't trust Jesus at all, really. I mean, that's just—it's kind of—you're you, not saved. You, because you're not living in the kingdom of God. You, you sort of—you've got this pragmatic faith, but actually, you're experientially, in reality, you really trust yourself and you trust the world. Is that? No, and I'm not saying that to make you feel guilty, because. Heck, you know, I used to be guilty of this until I became perfect. It's true for all of us, eh? You know, do I really, do I trust and obey for there's no other way to be? You don't know the old hymns. Trust and obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. So you go, oh, well, this doesn't sound that great. What happens to this bloke? Jesus heals his son. What is the end result of faith, of trusting Jesus and taking him at his word and acting on it? The end result, we fear, the reason most of us don't do it is we think, A, Jesus is pretty stupid. He's not really involved in my life to guide me today. And I think he's stupid because if I did what he said I should do today in my life today, I'd be miserable. Okay? That's going to make me miserable if I really trust Jesus. I'll trust him just enough to get into heaven, but not enough to make me poor or make me forgive my enemies uh, or make me um, do all the kinds of things Jesus said, you know, said we should do like and how we should live. I I don't trust him enough for that because I think it'll make me miserable, which is fair enough. I get that. I understand that. But this is the whole point um, of this. Verse 31, the end of John's gospel. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life. Life in his name. So, this is the whole point of Jesus coming that when we live interactively with him in the kingdom of heavens, taking him at his word, then acting on it as best we're able over the course of our lives, that is the path to genuine human flourishing, to life. Life. It's good. It's a better vision of life, a better way to live than anything our culture has to offer like that's that's the that's the binary choice you and I make have to make do i trust jesus to give me life or do i trust myself or our culture to give me life like it's just that's the choice it's very 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 clear cut and guess what it's a choice we have to make day by day moment by moment and you discover, oh geez, I've been thinking that living for myself, so I'm back in the I'm, oh gee, forgive me. And then Jesus goes, Yeah, come on, the kingdom of heaven's open, even to miserable middle class religious sinners like you. So come on, let's go again. Let's let's train ourselves to live a life in obedience to Jesus from the inside out. It's life, life in his name. Now you might say oh, Mark. But, you know, the officials and those guys, they saw Jesus. So it was easier for them to do it. Have you ever thought that? Like, but I don't see Jesus, right? Like, hang on. Hello. There used to be a, you know, there's a far side cartoon that said, you know, I found Jesus. He was, you know, hiding behind the sofa. Um, Where is Jesus now? And you might say, well, I can't see him. If only I could see Jesus, then I could have this kind of faith. Well, well, again, hey, God knows this, um, and we'll get to this in about six years' time at this current rate. Um, at the end of John's Gospel, last chapter, good old doubting Thomas or believing Thomas, uh, God graciously puts this passage in just for you, if you've had this question, because this is the issue Thomas missed out the first time Jesus showed up. Then he goes, yeah, I don't get it, man. Unless I can, he's the quintessential materialist. Unless I can poke his, unless I can see him and touch him and poke my hands in him, I'm not going to believe that he's really risen from the dead because that's just weird stuff. And so then Jesus shows up again, says to Thomas, "Put put your finger here. See my hands, reach out your hands, put it into my side, stop doubting and believe. And Thomas says, my Lord and my God. And you go, wow, that's cool. And then just for you and for me, living here in Roselle and Balmain in Sydney, 2,000 years later, where we don't find, we don't see Jesus physically. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Like, okay, because you can hear. And you, you see, you experience Jesus spiritually. He knew, God knew, he knows what he's up to. He knows what he's up to. Faith, obedient faith is possible. A life of faith is possible, not just possible, but available for you and for me. Isn't that wonderful? And so, what's our church about? Well, we're just a community of people who are trying to encourage each other to live this way. Why did I start off by saying the best thing you can do is bring your kids to church every week? Well, at a pragmatic, behavioral level, it's has an effect on your kids but why should you bother with that because it's the path of life it's the path of life that, like that's it's either it is it's true for all of us is is this the way of life like what what could be better for your children than to never know a moment where they are not living interactively in the presence of jesus where they can know his comfort and his love and his guidance and they can shape all their responses on the basis of how he sees the world. They can grow up where it's second nature for them just to love and forgive and believe, care for the poor, be generous and servant-hearted. I mean, that's, that's how we want to shape our children, aren't we? So we want to shape ourselves. That's what we're here to do. And it's wonderful. What a journey. Um, and lest you think, and I don't, want, I don't want you to go away feeling, uh, the, the standard of obedient faith is not perfection. Only Jesus believed obediently, faithfully, perfectly. The standard of obedient faith is good enough faith. <laughs> it's like parenting. It's good enough. Just turn to Jesus. Ask him to help you day by day, moment, moment, to live this way. Yeah. And we're on the journey together. Let's pray, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your love for this uh, Jewish official and the journey of faith we see him on. And I pray for our church here. Pray for myself. I pray for each of us in this room and for our children who are playing at the back, that you will help us to be uh, women and men who have an obedient faith, who take you at your word and then act on it, and who live interactively with you in the kingdom of the heavens right now. that This shapes everything for us. Let me ask this in your name, Lord. Amen.